0: to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue our series and we're actually going to conclude our series of answering tough questions. And this is actually the 19th lesson we've had in this series. We've spent half a year on it. And the topic tonight is what does the Bible say about curses? What does the Bible say about curses? And this actually was a question that was turned in, one of several that's been part of this series. What does the Bible say about curses? As I was studying this, I began to realize that this topic is a whole lot broader and a whole lot deeper and a whole lot wider and... And everything that I at first had realized. And so um, I think the intent behind the question was the idea of, you know, can someone put a curse on someone else? Can someone put a curse on me, especially as a believer? And my mind also went to the idea of something that kind of makes the rounds every once in a while is being very popular, this idea of generational curses, Okay. So we're going to deal with both of those issues tonight primarily, although we'll deal with the general idea of curses um, in the Bible to kind of introduce it. Okay, So tonight, what does the Bible say about curses? Let's start off by saying, what is a curse? If someone were to ask you, what is a curse? How would you define it? A prophetic statement that pertains to something negative on an individual. Now, when you say prophetic statement, what that makes me think of is um, prophesying about something evil going to happen. Okay? So the person who's saying this has nothing to do with it. They're just saying, "Hey, something even's going to happen to you." <laughs> Both what? <laughs> okay, cuz when you say that that what what I think of when I think of curses is somebody who's actually pronouncing a curse, not just prophesying that something bad's gonna happen, but they're actually wanting it to happen. I'm saying both. Oh, you're saying both. Right. And I think it's true in a lot of cultures, but especially I would figure there'd be a lot of comments maybe tonight or at least thoughts from some of the Caribbean cultures. The reason I've asked it because I'd never heard the word prophesy associated with the word curse before. It was just like, I'm going to curse you, you know, never heard of it, talked about it in the terms of prophecy. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah, because it hasn't happened yet, right? All right. Any other thoughts about what it means, uh, what a curse means? Yes, Candace. Speaking ill will over your life. hmm hmm So there's kind of different levels, it seems like. Someone just speaks very ill of you, maybe without any anticipation that there's any power behind it or anything. They just speak badly. But then others do so in such a way, believing there is power behind that to cause it to happen. All right, that's a very good way to look at it. Janet. That's a good thought. That that curse that someone might have, place on, want to place on, it doesn't go anywhere unless the other person believes it okay that is one viewpoint there are many that say otherwise i'm not disagreeing with you you know um so that's what part of what we're going to dig into but i appreciate you bringing up that part of it um there i've come across a number of different definitions by the way sometimes people bring up this idea of cursing a curse like we're talking about is totally different than cursing you know as far as cussing (laughs) you know saying bad words whatever your definition of bad words is all right we're talking about curse in, in that sense. So, um, the definition I went with anyway was from the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible. It says the expression, brackets, as of a, as by prayer, of a wish that evil fall on someone. A curse is an expression. Someone expresses it, maybe in the sense of a prayer, not a prayer to God per se, but to a being, to a divine supernatural power, an expression of a wish that evil fall on someone? What kind of things come to your mind when you think of curses? What kind of things do people try to bring down on other people as individuals or as groups or whatever? What do you think of when you think of, oh, a curse is on this person or curses on this nation? What are some of the manifestations or things that people would want to curse on somebody? Sickness. Death. Any kind of harm. I mean, it's evil, right? It's bad. It's something bad keep them from making progress, hold, holding them back hardship uh, in biblical days crop failure or animal deaths defeat in battle you see that sometimes okay now curses don't exist all by themselves there's also an opposite of a curse what's the opposite of a curse a blessing which do you want <laughs> the blessing you know so I didn't actually look up a definition of a blessing I think we all kind of get an idea of that but we could just Reverse the definition of a curse for a blessing, and that would be um, the expression, maybe even by prayer, of a wish that good fall on somebody. Okay. We find that just dealing with the blessing part, God blesses people. Alright? And you look at the Bible, you see people blessing people. In fact, that's a really interesting study that we're not going to do tonight. But the power of the blessing in the family. And how important that is. There's been some great books written over the last couple of decades of how we as believers can incorporate that into our own lives, our own marriages, and our own families by speaking and praying blessing over our marriages, over our children, over our grandchildren. Okay? Um, and not to make it to make it a little bit less complicated. It's basically just praying and speaking positive, okay, over those people that we love. All right? So... Anyway, um, we see examples of both of these in Scripture. Now, as I got to thinking about this and studying this, one thing that I discovered, and I felt like we need to make very, very clear from the beginning, is that there are differences between a blessing or a curse that's issued by God versus one that's issued by a person, okay? Um, The differences come down to this. God's got the power to carry it through, (laughs) okay? A person may feel like they do uh, or hope that they do but if God blesses or God quote curses and I would say that the other difference is that when God curses it's for a different purpose and in a different way than when people try to curse okay um, someone else uh, God's got the power to carry it through but the other thing is that God's curses are not a wish for evil like There's certain people he likes and certain people he doesn't, so he wishes that the evil would happen to them. God's curses, and I think you can see this consistently all through Scripture, wherever it talks about that God either talks about a curse on people or issues a curse, it is a judgment for sin. It's not a desire that bad things happen to people. It's that sin is involved and it must be judged. And curse uh, is a way that it's expressed. So... The first area I want to talk about is this idea of cursed by God, but we don't want to spend a lot of time um, with this, but just kind of give a little bit of background, all right? There's a couple of things under this. Cursed by God. First of all, we have the big curse, the curse of sin. The curse of sin. Um, you know, as a result of the fall uh, in the garden, Adam and Eve choosing to go their own way, believe the enemy, uh, basically tell God, God, uh, we're going to do our own thing, going to totally disobey you. Um, the curse of sin came upon the world. We see it manifested in Genesis 3 when he cursed the serpent, okay? And then also when he cursed the ground. And just a general theme, theme in Scripture is that because of sin, the whole world and everybody in it are under the curse of sin. If you want to, I should have told you to turn there, Galatians 3, verses 10 to 14. If you're taking notes, you can write down Galatians 3, verses 10 to 14. Uh, Again, going back to the Garden of Eden, the world is under the curse of sin. God established his people, made a covenant with them and said, here's how you can live to please me. All right. But he says, if you obey, you'll receive blessing. If you don't obey. You won't receive the blessing. In fact, those will be some things that will be like curses that will come on you. We'll talk some more about that later. But the people couldn't live up to it. So it became known as the curse of the law. We got all these rules and laws from God and we're trying to keep them. And thankfully, even in the Old Testament, he had a sacrificial system to take care of it when people failed. But that curse was still there. But that's why Jesus came. You know, here we are in the Christmas season. Jesus came was to take care of the curse. Um, maybe you heard that phrase, the reverse, the curse. And in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14, Paul talks about it. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. In other words, he says, listen, if you're hoping to be right with God by just being good, it's not going to work. Because that means you've got to be perfect and nobody is. Because that's why we're in trouble. But he goes on to say this. Now, it's evident that no one's justified before God by the law because nobody can keep it. And that's why God said the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, it's the one who does them shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the whole story of the Bible of the fall and sin and Jesus coming is all about we're under a curse, the curse, the curse of sin. But Jesus came and paid the price by his death on the cross. And so therefore he redeemed us from the curse of the law. So that is the curse that has its roots in God. We also find other curses that are mentioned as coming from God, expressed by God as a punishment of sin. We see that in general. I mentioned that, that when God chose his people, he says, okay, we're going to have a covenant. We're going to have a relationship. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless you. But you need to love and serve me, okay, and obey me and not worship other gods, all right? And uh, you can read this later, but Deuteronomy chapters 27 to 29 is at the end of all the law, and God says, okay, here's what it's like. If you obey me, here's how I'm going to bless you. He's got this big, long list of all these blessings he's going to pour out on his people. He says, but if you choose to disobey, walk away, worship other gods, here's all these curses. Here's all the judgments that are going to come your way. All right? Um, uh, Proverbs 3.33 kind of gives a summary. It just says, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And he makes very, you know, not just in general um, of obeying or disobeying, but he mentions very specifically certain things that will bring about a curse, basically saying will bring about judgment. He talks about making idols and worshiping idols. He talks about murder, sexual immorality, dishonoring parents. <laughs> in fact, uh, in the Bible, it says that if you curse your parents. It's got a death penalty. All right. All kinds of injustice, all these things say that God will bring about a curse. It will bring about judgment. Okay, And so constantly throughout Scripture, God is calling his people to choose this day, life or death. Who are you going to serve? As I said, Deuteronomy has those um, uh, three chapters, 27, 28, and 29, talking about the blessings and the curses. The blessings if you serve God, the curses if you choose not to. But then when you get to the to chapter 30, uh, verse 19, Moses is it all up, summarizing it all up, and he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Later on, after they conquered the promised land, Joshua told the people the same thing. That famous scripture you all have heard, right? Some of you have it on your door. It's a little plaque, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua 24, 15. And the thing is, is that you can study the history of God's people all through the Bible, and God kept his promises. His promise to bless when they obeyed, and his promise to basically withhold his blessing, and the people experienced these curses. Again, not because God wanted evil to happen, but because judgment and consequences for sin came. So that's just a very brief, it's a lot more to it than that Of. Uh, the whole idea of God and his involvement in curses or cursing, but I wanted to use that as a backdrop for the main thing that I want us to talk about tonight, and that is being cursed by other people. So I think that's what was behind the original question, and um, it also has a little bit to do with the whole idea of a generational curse. So let's talk about this idea of being cursed by other people. There's this belief that one can pronounce a curse on another person, uh, probably an enemy, and that a deity or some other supernatural being will hopefully carry it out, okay? Although some people, because perhaps they have found some success in this area, may feel like they even have the power within themselves. A lot of times there are rituals that are associated with it and all that kind of stuff, and almost every culture... Um, uh, there is some aspect of this. You know, a lot of you come from the Caribbean, all right? And uh, um, Carlton already mentioned, in Guyana, there's the aspect of cursing. I know that in... Mm-hmm. And I know that in some nations in Africa and in the Caribbean, you got the whole voodoo thing. And I've heard other names coming out of different cultures of what it is. And, and usually it involves um, saying things a certain way. Um, uh, lots of different... I mean, You guys may know more about than I do if you're from that area, <laughs> okay? So let me ask you, some of you that come from an area where that's a big deal, or from a culture, maybe not in your own background, but because it's in your background, from your culture, how seriously do people take that? Very. Yeah. Okay. John? Well, without them, they take it very seriously. they take it very seriously. Very serious. Yep. And there can be two reasons for that. Number one, because of the actual power that may be involved. Or, like Janet said, even if there's no power there, if you believe there is, what you believe tremendously impacts what you do, how you live, how you respond, how you react to things. I saw your hand there. Go ahead. Tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even the modern thing of having your house just right. Feng, how's that? Feng Feng shui. Yeah, I've seen that. You know, I know it has to do with houses and how you decorate them and all that. But it has a spiritual dimension in that same thing. Yeah, John. But it also goes to even the very... Of the mm-hmm. There's a lot of different superstitious, whatever type practices. Yeah. Which makes it makes you believe you they exactly. they have to believe it exactly. if it's not effective unless you tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, and I understand that, and I'm, I'm along those same lines, but I've also heard stories of missionaries that um, have gone into a place where there's a lot of superstition, a lot of uh, witchcraft, a lot of demonic activity, and people uh, put curses on them, and they believe in the power of Jesus Christ, and they felt something. We'll talk about why I've also heard in a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the root of that in just a moment. I saw a hand over Theo? Yes, yes. And that's one thing. I've never studied the history of it, so I can't speak to it. But one thing I did come across, unfortunately, in a lot of countries, it's a mixture of demonism type stuff and Roman Catholicism. It's like, how in the world did these two things get mixed and it not be dealt with and i'm not trying to put any, point any fingers or place any blames it's just is what it is okay so is there actual power there involved yes if you believe okay so we're going we're going to dig more deeply into but the big question how does this affect me as a christian because what if somebody tries to do something to me so dorothy i saw your hand we're going to take your remark and then we better move on go ahead oh yeah that's the other part there are people that can take the curses off, usually for a fee. Sometimes it's the same person who put it on. I think we got some people that work for the IRS like that. But anyway. <laughs> yes. I didn't understand the last part. They give you a bath? Oh, to wash it away. I'm so glad I've already had the bath in the blood of Jesus. Okay, so, so here's the thing, okay? Is it actually possible for one person to effectively, and by effectively I mean it have effect, curse another person? Okay? But let me just give you some thoughts that have come to me after studying this from scripture, is that first of all, no one can effectively curse someone else in their own power. None of us have power in and of ourselves To bring bad or even good on anybody else other than what we ourselves do. I mean, I can bring bad on somebody by hitting with a baseball bat, but I'm talking about by cursing and I can't cause a person to be blessed unless I'm the one that's the, the one that gives them or does something to be a blessing. So no one can effectively curse someone else in their own power. So whatever power is involved has to come from where? It has to come from something supernatural. It has to either be God or satanic. Okay? And so that's why I believe, like I I gave a little teaser a little while ago, that there have been some good Christian missionaries that go into these strongholds and people put curses on them. They do sense something, but it's not because that person themselves have power. It's because of the demonic presences and basically it's spiritual warfare. Okay, so any reality to the idea of curses all has to do with spiritual warfare. And let me just refer back to last week's lesson. We talked a lot about spiritual warfare. So defense against this kind of stuff, if you're concerned about it, or if somebody says, I put a curse on you or whatever, the defense is to be a spiritual warrior. And we won't review that whole lesson all over again. We need to clothe ourselves with the armor of God. We need to be prayed up. We need to be living right, you know, and, and when we do that, we're protected. Doesn't mean there won't be a battle, but we're protected. But no one can effectively curse someone else in their own power. Now, I like this one. I, I This is not original with me. I saw it and I thought I got to steal that and put that in my notes. No one can effectively curse what God has blessed. I like that one. No one can effectively curse what God has blessed. There's a great story in Numbers 22. You may be familiar with it. God's people are coming out of Egypt. They've wandered for 40 years. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. One of the kings there gets all worried. He says, I'm going to call for this great magician, spiritual guru, Balaam, and curse the Israelites. And this guy had a reputation for having some power, whether there was some real power there or just the reputation preceded him and it made things happen i have a feeling some demonic stuff involved there and balaam uh god told balaam no you're not gonna be able to do it you know the king sent some people because he lived far away king sent some people to him said hey we'll pay you a lot of money come curse these people god said don't and balaam said i can't do it and uh they went back told the king the king said go offer him some more money and so he did and balaam said well, God said, I can't, but I'll still go with you. So I think Balaam's trying to get, you know, both sides of the thing here. He's hoping maybe God will let him. But so anyway, long story short, um, Balaam goes to try to curse him. And God says no. So he blesses the Israelites. The king gets all upset. And uh, he says, well, let me take you someplace else. Maybe you can do it from someplace else. Because there's this idea that spiritual power was stronger in certain places and, and all that kind of stuff. And so they went to another place. And so Balaam was going to go curse him. And God wouldn't let him. So he blessed him. And he says, well, maybe you can't curse the whole group. So let's go where you're going to see part of them. And maybe you can curse part of them. And it just never worked. And the king ended up not paying him anything. But the point is, is that God said you can't curse them. And I'll tell you something. We're under the blood of Jesus. Okay? So no one can effectively curse what God has blessed. We also have a promise in the Old Testament that an undeserved curse has no power. Proverbs 26.2. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless or undeserved does not alight. It's like somebody can say whatever they want to about you. They can do whatever they want to do, go through all kinds of rituals and stuff and try to send it your way. But if you don't deserve it and if you're a believer and you're standing in the blood of Jesus and stuff, it can't have its full effect on you. Now, again, I'm not saying you won't go through spiritual warfare. The enemy will do everything to try to mess us up. Okay, but another thing I want to add here before we switch gears to the second issue is that there's a whole other aspect to this when we come to Jesus. Okay, and that is that Jesus not only doesn't say a whole lot about cursing, but what he does says say is that if somebody does try to curse you, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bless them. Yeah. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 28 says, But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those that curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Now, this is kind of assuming some things. But if Jesus really believed there was a lot of power in people's ability to curse, I think he'd have said a whole lot more about it in here other than just bless those that curse you. You know, It's, it's almost as if he says, people curse you, don't worry about it but don't curse them back. You know, don't ignore them. Don't treat them badly. Instead, pray for them. Bless them. Because we return good for evil. Theo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me repeat that for the recording. Parents that talk into their children's lives are say negative things. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're, is that a curse? I don't think it's a curse in the sense of what we're talking about here, but it certainly has a powerful impact on the child's life, maybe even more so than what we're talking about here. It's it's certainly not a good thing. It has the effect of a curse, but it's not the same type of curse I think that we're talking about here. Alright? So the other area I wanted to talk about because this yeah, go ahead, Keasley. That's true. That's true. But parents don't use that as motivation. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. The other thing I wanted to talk about with this topic, because it comes up every once in a while, is the idea of a generational curse, a generational curse. Um, maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you've done some studying on it. Maybe you've been taught about it or whatever. What do people mean when they talk about a generational curse? Amanda. Okay. It was there and it slipped away. Okay. Jose. Okay, an example from American history, JFK and his family, and bad things keep happening to family members. Okay, so bad things happening through the generations of a family line, okay? And the generational curse part comes from something bad was said about, said to, or curse put on, or they did something to deserve it, but now it's not just them, but the people that are descendants. Okay, any other thoughts about this idea of a generational curse? Is you remember now, Amanda? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people that don't do the right thing, they sin, they don't live for God, they do bad things, and it affects the people that come after them. You're throwing out a lot of my points I'm going to get to. Yeah, no, no, you're doing good. What other thoughts come to mind when you think of or hear about generational curses? Addiction, generational, yeah, poverty, yeah. The reason I bring it up is because this isn't just something that's kind of out there that people talk about, but in the Christian realm, sometimes you get into kind of the "ooh" area where um, people, you know, you got some problems in your life or in your family, and you go talk to somebody, and say, "Oh, well, you've got a curse on you," you know, and it goes all the way back to your grandfather, and you've got to have this special, this, that, and the other to get this lifted. And it begins to put Christians in bondage um, and that kind of stuff. And that is not the way it is. Now, why would people even think so? What is it? Because there's a specific passage of Scripture. This is a trivia question. What is the passage of Scripture that people point to that say, yeah, see, it's right there in the Bible. There are generational curses. Tim. That's Ezekiel 18. And you're getting to the answer before we finish the question. <laughs> That's good, Jim. You're thinking along the right lines. We're going to get there. That's Ezekiel 18. Okay, that's God's answer to the idea of generational curses. But what is the passage of Scripture that people point to saying, see, they're right there in Scripture. It says there's generational curses. Anybody know? What would you say, Dorothy? I think you got it. That's okay. The sins of the Father to the third and fourth generation. That's exactly it. Okay, so let me tell you where that's at. All right. Um, It's in Exodus 20 verses 4 to 6 is actually part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verses 4 to 6. It's repeated as part of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 also. But then it's also referred to as God having said it in Exodus 34 and in Numbers 14. But it all goes back to this original saying that God said as part of the Ten Commandments. Let me read it to you. Exodus 20 verses 4 to 6. Now, you just look at that, it sounds like, oh, wait a minute. God says, if you're not good, I'm going to curse you, your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grandkids. Then maybe I'll let up. Is that what God's saying there? No. What? Okay, so you're saying it's not a curse, it's the consequences of the choices. See, that was going to be my next question is, if this is not actually talking about God saying, okay, you sin, I'm going to punish you and your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids, then what is he saying? And Jose says that one possibility is he's just talking about the consequences of our sin. And isn't that true? I mean, we could all give negative testimonies of how we have been affected of sins that our parents committed or our grandparents, or even our great-grandparents. Because you know what? When we sin, it isn't just ourselves that it affects. Right? Marissa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. In other words, what seems to be just and as fair as each person pays for their own sin. Right? Exactly. And believe it or not, that's exactly what God says. We'll get to that in a minute. But this seems to contradict that. So one possible solution is what Jose said. And we all agreed. That is that when we are involved in sin, especially as as is as, as, as terrible as a sin can be um, and magnified and um uh committed over and over, depending on the type of sin, it can tremendously impact the people around us and our descendants for a good long while. Okay? So that's one possibility. But there's also a couple of other possibilities too. There are some that have pointed to the fact that this is the only place this says this. I mean, it's mentioned four times but it's all talking about the same event. It's just kind of referring back to it or whatever. And it's always, it's it's in the context of creating and worshiping idols. So there are some who believe, and this is where we're getting into speculation and ideas and thoughts about what this might be, as possibilities, is that it's talking specifically about when God's telling his people, if you start worshiping idols, you're going to suffer for this for a, for a while. And they said that it's actually talking about the fact that God's people kept going to idols and he would discipline them and they'd give them up. But then finally he got fed up and he let them go into exile and they were in exile for 70 years, which is basically the distance of three to four generations. And so it says that's one possibility, that's all it is, the Bible doesn't say for sure, is that this is actually prophesying the exile that would come because they would not give up their worshiping of idols. And what's really interesting is that ever since the exile, the Jews as a people have never worshiped idols again. That's a possibility, okay? Um, I personally like the one about the fact that Jose was saying that the effects and consequences of a person's sins affect everybody around them and those who follow them. And even if you love the Lord and you want to see that stuff broken in your life, it takes a while, you know? But you can be broken. That's the good news. Yeah, Carlton. Yes, it really is. It is. Amanda said something a little bit earlier, I think, is part of this also. And that is, we have a tendency to follow the example of our parents and our grandparents and great-grandparents. sometimes even when we don't want to. Uh, how many times did you say growing up saying, "Well, I'll never treat my kids that way." And, <laughs> and then you grow up have kids and you treat them that way. And I don't mean in a good way. I mean, <laughs> yelling at them or whatever it is, you know, because we have a tendency to follow the examples of those, uh, and it's still our own choice, still our own sin, but we do that. But there is one other aspect to it, too, and that is that, you know, there are certain things that are passed down from parent to child to child to child, and we often think of that in the physical realm. There are certain physical diseases, physical handicaps, physical conditions that can be passed from parent to child and that kind of thing. And um, there are many people that believe and I think there's an aspect of truth there that there are also spiritual and moral traits that can be passed down from parent to child and uh, some have speculated that that's why it seems like um, there are some families where alcohol you mentioned alcoholism is one. It just seems to be much more prevalent in that family, okay? But it's not because of a curse that was put on a grandfather or whatever. It's just one of those things that's passed down as part of the makeup of a two parents coming together, creating a child to have these uh, maybe weaknesses, again, not necessarily physical but spiritual or moral, that if they don't do something about it, they're going to be much more likely. It's just like each of us have different weaknesses, different sins we're more drawn to that somebody else isn't. Maybe some of those traits can be passed down. But the point is, is that God never intended that to be interpreted that, um, well, if you sin, I'm going to punish you, your child, your grandchild, and your great-grandchild. And we know that for sure because of the scripture that Tim was talking about. It's Ezekiel 18. So if you want to turn there, you can. Ezekiel 18. Um, Ezekiel is a prophet of God and he's speaking, he says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Okay. (laughs) It's like, you know, this, this proverb is that you drink something sour and your kids are cringing, You (laughs) you know, um, Verse three, as I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Basically, what God is saying is that I'm not behind this saying. This isn't the way I do things. If a person sins, they're the ones going to pay the punishment. And then we're not going to read the whole chapter. But when you go on from there, uh, starting in verse five, he says, if a man's righteous and does what's right and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that, and the, he's going to be blessed. He's going to be encouraged by it. But if he's got a son who does all that stuff, he's going to be judged by it. But if that son has a son and does everything right, he'll be blessed. He says the ones who sin are the ones who are going to die. The ones who are obedient are the ones who are going to be blessed. And uh, he also talks about how if a person starts out and does all the right things and everything, they're blessed by God, but if they choose they're going to just reject that and go go get involved in sin and worship idols, then they're going to receive judgment. And if someone who's doing things worthy of judgment repents and turns around and does the right thing, then they're going to be blessed. So God says it comes down to what you're doing. All right? And then if you jump down to verse 19, he says this. He says... But this is so it was so ingrained in their culture. It says, yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? They were so used to it. It's like, well, why not? I mean, that's just kind of the way it is, isn't it? And he says, um, yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And he says they will not suffer. I mean, we can suffer because of other people's sins, but he's saying you're not going to suffer judgment from God because of somebody else's sin. Now to us, it's like, well, that makes sense. That's what's right. That's what's just. But they were in this culture and because of the scripture that had been misinterpreted, that they really thought that their sins were then passed on to others and that kind of stuff. And that, that idea was even popular in Jesus' day. You remember in John chapter nine, Jesus and disciples are walking along. There's this guy that was born blind and the disciples are saying, hey, whose fault is that? Was it his fault? Now, wait a minute. It happens to be before. Was it his parents' fault? And she said, neither one. Neither one. Now, let me um, wrap this topic up and then we'll get into the conclusion real quickly. As I was doing research for this, um, I was researching uh Bibles. Uh, commentaries and the Bible and, and I did some research on the internet too and I found this one article, I loved it because it was one of the scenes where somebody wrote a question to this guy who answers questions he wrote this question, well we've been talking about generational curses and blah 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 and what do you think about it and what does the Bible say about blah 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 and he says, well first of all let me get right to the root thing, let me list every scripture in the New Testament that talks about generational c- curses and here they are, and there's this big blank spot on the page he says, that's right, there's not a single one in the New Testament, actually, there's not a single verse in the Bible that talks about generational curse. It's just this one that's been mis- misinterpreted. But anyway, um, the thing is, is that you know sometimes fads kind of come through Christianity, and this whole generational curse thing seems to be one that comes through every once in a while, and then it fades out, and it comes back, and and Deliverance Ministries. And I'm not making fun. There are legitimate Deliverance Ministries. People that are in bondage to things, they need prayer, they need help, kind of stuff. But um, this is one that kind of seems to go through Christian ranks from time to time. But you know what? If generational curses were really an issue, don't you think they'd be mentioned in the New Testament? I mean, don't you think Jesus would have talked about it? Don't you think Paul would have talked about it? I mean, these people came out of pagan backgrounds a lot worse than probably a lot of our backgrounds. And yet generational curses are never mentioned. It's never talked about, oh, well, we need to pray for you or cast out this demon because this was put on from your family and your family has this history of this, all that kind of stuff. No. Once a person became a Christian, surrendered their lives to Christ, their sins are forgiven, they're set free from any of the curses that are, any any curse that's out there, the curse of sin, the curse of the law, you know, we're not under the power of the enemy anymore. Now, the enemy can attack us and we've got to fight against it. All right? So to wrap this all up, I just want to say this. Uh, just to repeat some major points. Number one, as believers, we are free from the curse of sin. We are forgiven in Jesus Christ. No one can effectively curse us. However, we must be actively involved in spiritual warfare because we have a powerful enemy. If someone thinks that they are effectively used in cursing, it's probably because they are dabbling in spiritual forces they shouldn't be and the spiritual forces are responding. And so if somebody like that says, well, I'm going to put a curse on you, Don't be afraid, but be prayed up because the enemy will try to use that to attack you. All right. But you can have victory. And then the third thing, we may have certain sins that we have greater weakness for, whether because of something in our genetics or for some other reason. But we can have victory in Christ. Whatever sins we struggle with, whether it's because something that seems to run in our family or it's new to me, I don't know. The thing is, is we can have victory as we walk in obedience and take advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit that God makes available to us. So, that's a quick summary and overview of some of the things the Bible says about curses, but especially how they might apply to us as believers. We don't have to fear somebody putting a curse on us, but we do need to be awake and alert because we've got an enemy out to get us. We don't have to be afraid that some curse was put on our family that I've got to get rid of because Jesus took care of that at the cross. Just walk in obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had tonight, Lord, and actually for this whole half years we've been looking at a lot of different tough questions. We thank you, Lord, that there are tough questions that may throw us for a loop sometimes, maybe even shake our faith a little bit, but Lord, you've got good answers for them. So help us to get in the habit of looking for the answers. God, we thank you that Jesus paid the price for our sin. And there is no curse that has any effect on us when we trust in Jesus Christ, both the original curse of sin and any other curse that the enemy would try to throw at us. But help us to stand firm, watching out for our enemy, the roaring lion who's seeking whom he may devour, knowing that your word says if we resist him, that he will flee. And your armor will protect us if we put it on. So help us to stand strong, Lord. And may that standing be a testimony and a witness to the people around us. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001. Or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.